welcome to the tenth episode of the Sea of Monsters. Can you believe it? We already completed ten episodes. I think this book is going faster than the Lightning Thief. <laughs> okay. So what happened last episode? We were kind of in the middle of a cliffhanger, weren't we? Yes. They were like free falling towards the ocean, and that's where the chapter ended. So, today we're gonna see what happens after the free fell into the ocean, or in a lifeboat. Yeah, I guess they were in lifeboat. Yeah. So, the tenth chapter's name is "We Hitch a Ride with Dead Confederates." So. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you read this? Because when I first read the book, like, uh, I was wondering, like, how can the history of a dead confederates when they already had a lifeboat? Like, yeah, I know that uh, they can't, like, cross the ocean in a lifeboat. But dead confederates? That was crazy, right? Then the then I thought that maybe the life would have like a hole in it or something like that and water flooded in and something. I got a wild imagination about the whole thing. So, whatever. I don't know what you're thinking about. Yes, I know what you're thinking about. Let's just start it. Flask! I screamed as we hurled towards the water. What? Annabeth must have thought I'd lost my mind. She was holding onto the boat straps for dear life, her hair flying straight up like a torch. But Tyson understood. He managed to open my duffel bag and take out Hermes's magical flask without losing his grip on it on the oar the boat. Arrows and javelins whistled past us. I grabbed the flask and I hoped I was doing the right thing. Hang on! I am hanging on! Annabeth yelled. Tighter! I hooked my feet under the boat's inflatable bench, and Tyson grabbed Annabeth and me by the backs of her shirts. I gave the flask a quarter turn. Instantly, a white sheet of wind jetted out of the flask and propelled us sideways, turning our downward plummet into a 45-degree crash landing. The wind seemed to laugh as it shot out from the flask, like it was glad to be free. As we hit the ocean, we bumped once, twice, skipping like stone. Then we were whizzing along like a speedboat, salt spray in our faces and nothing but sea ahead. I heard a wail of outrage from the ship behind us, but we were already out of the weapon range. The Princess Andromeda faded to the size of a white toy boat in the distance and then it was gone. As we raced over the sea, Annabeth and I tried to spend send an iris message to Chiron. We figured it was important we let somebody know what Luke was doing, and we didn't know who else to trust. The wind from the flask stirred up a nice sea spray that made a rainbow in the sunlight, perfect for an iris message, but her connection was still poor. When Annabeth threw a golden drachma into the mist and prayed the rainbow goddess to show us Chiron, his face appeared all right, but there was some kind of weird stroke. A light flashing in the background and rock music blaring like he was at a dance club. We told him about sneaking away from camp and Luke and Princess Andromeda and the golden box for Chronos' remains, but between the noise on his end and the rushing wind and water on our end, I'm not sure how much he heard. Percy, Chiron yelled, you have to watch out for... 
His voice was drowned out by loud shouting behind him, a bunch of voices whooping it up like Comanche warriors. What? I yelled. Curse my relatives! Chiron ducked as a plate flew over his head and shattered somewhere out of sight. Annabeth, you shouldn't have let Prissy leave camp, but if you do get the fleece... Yeah, baby! Somebody behind Chiron yelled, Woohoo! The music got cranked up, subwoofer so loud it made our boat vibrate. Miami! Chiron was yelling. I tried to keep watch. Our misty screen smashed apart like someone on the other side had thrown a bottle at it, and Chiron was gone. An hour later, we spotted land, a long stretch of beach lined with high-rise hotels. The water became the water became crowded with fishing boats and tankers. A Coast Guard cruiser passed on a starboard side, then it turned like it won in a second look. I guess it isn't every day to see a yellow lifeboat with no engine going a hundred knots an hour manned by three kids. That's Virginia Beach, Annabeth said like we approached the shoreline. Oh my god, how did Princess Andromeda travel so far overnight? That's like 530 nautical miles, I said. She stared at me. How the hell do you know that? Uh, I'm not sure. Annabeth thought for a moment. Pussy, what's your position? 36 degrees, 44 minutes north, 76 degrees, 2 minutes west. And I said immediately and then I shook my head. Oh, how did I know that? Because of your dad, Annabeth guessed. When you're at sea, you're perfect bearings. That is so cool. I wasn't sure about that. I didn't want to be a human GPS unit. But before I could say anything, Tyson tapped my shoulder. Other boat is coming. I looked back. The Coast Guard vessel was definitely on our tail now. Its lightings were flashing and it was gaining speed. We can't let them catch us, I said. They'll ask too many questions. Keep going to Chipisegg Bay. Annabeth said, I know a place we can hide. I didn't know what she meant or how she knew the area so well. I risked loosening the flask cap a little more and a fresh burst of wind sent us rocketing around the northern tip of Virginia Beach into Chesapeake Bay. The Coast Guard boat fell further and further behind. It didn't slow down until the shores of the bay narrowed on either side. I realized we'd entered the mouth of a river. I could feel the change of salt water to fresh water. Suddenly, I was tired and frazzled like I was coming down off a sugar high. I didn't know where I was anymore or which way to steer the boat. It was a good thing Annabeth was directing me. There, she said, past that sandbar. We veered into a swampy area choked with marsh grass. I beached the lifeboat at the foot of a giant cypress. Wind-covered trees loomed above us and insects, insects cheered in the woods. The air was muggy and hot and steam cold of the river. Basically, it was in Manhattan and I didn't like it. Come on, Annabeth said. It, it's just down the bank. What is? I asked. Just follow. She grabbed the duffel bag. And we'd better cover the boat. We don't want to draw attention. After burying the lifeboat with branches, Tyson and I followed Annabeth down the shore, our feet sinking in red mud. A snake slithered past my shoe and disappeared into the grass. Not a good place, Tyson said. He swatted the mosquitoes uh, that were forming a buffet queue on his arm. After another few minutes, Annabeth said, Here. 
All I saw was a patch of brambles. Then Annabeth moved aside a woven circle of branches like a door, and I realized I was looking into a camouflaged shelter. The inside was big enough for three, even the Tyson being third. The walls were woven from plant material like a Native American hut, but they looked pretty waterproof. Stacked in the corner was everything you could want for a campout. Sleeping bags, blankets, an ice chest, and a kerosene lamp. There were demigod provisions too, bronze javelin tips, a quiver full of arrows, an extra sword, and a box full of ambrosia. The place smelled musty, like it had been vacant for a long time. A half-blood hideout. I looked at Annabeth in awe. You made this place? Thalia and I, she said quietly. And Luke. That shouldn't have bothered me. I mean, I knew Thalia and Luke had taken care of Annabeth when she was little. I knew the three of them had been runaways together, hiding from monsters, surviving on their own before Grover found them and tried to get them to Hoplet Hill. But whenever Annabeth talked about the time she'd spent with them, I kind of felt, I don't know, uncomfortable? No, 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 that's not the word. The word was jealous. So, I said, you don't think Luke will look for us here? She shook her head. We made a dozen safe houses like this. I doubt Luke even remembers where they are. Or cares. She threw herself down one of the blankets and started going through her duffel bag. Her body language made it pretty clear she didn't want to talk. Um, Tyson, I said, would you mind scouting around outside like look for a wilderness convenience store or something? Convenience store? Yeah, for snacks. Powdered donuts or something? Just don't go too far. Powdered donuts, Tyson said earnestly. I will look for powdered donuts in the wilderness. He headed outside and started calling, Here, donuts! Once it was gone, I sat down across from Annabeth. Hey, I'm sorry about, you know, seeing Luke. It's not your fault. She unsheathed her knife and started cleaning the blade with a rag. He let us go too easily, I said. I hoped I'd been imagining it, but Annabeth nodded. I was thinking the same thing. What we overheard him saying about a gamble and they'll take the bait, I think he was talking about us. The fleece is the bait? Or Grover? She studied the edge of a knife. I don't know, Percy. Maybe he wants the fleece for himself. Maybe he's hoping we'll do the hard work and he could steal it from us. I just can't believe he would poison the tree. What did he mean? I asked her. That failure would have been on his side? He's wrong. You don't sound sure. Annabeth glared at me and I started to wish I hadn't asked her about this while she was holding a knife. Percy, you know who you remind me of most? Thalia, you guys are so much alike, it's scary. I mean, either you would have been best of friends, or you would have strangled each other. Let's go with best friends. Thalia got angry with her dad sometimes. So you, so do you. Would you turn against Olympus because of that? I stared at the quiver of arrows in the corner. No. Okay then. Neither would she. Looks wrong. She struck her knife, knife blade into the dirt. I wanted to ask her about the prophecy Luke had mentioned and what it had to do with my 16th birthday. But I figured she wouldn't tell me.
Chiron had made it pretty clear that I wasn't allowed to hear until the gods decided otherwise. So, uh, what did Luke mean about Cyclopes? I asked. He said you of all people. I know what he said. He, he was talking about the real reason Thalia died. I waited, not sure what to say. Annabeth drew a shaky breath. You can never trust a Cyclops, Percy. Six years ago, on the night Grover was leading us to Half-Blood Hill, she was interrupted when the door of the hut creaked open. Tyson crawled in. Powdered donuts, he said proudly, holding up a pastry box. Annabeth stared at him. Where did you get that? We're in the middle of the wilderness. There's nothing around for 15 meters, Tyson said. Monster donut shop just over the hill. This is bad, Annabeth muttered. We were crouching behind a tree, staring at the donut shop in the middle of the woods. It looked brand new, with brightly lit windows, a parking area, and a little road leading off into the forest. But there was nothing else around, so no cards parked in the lot. We could see, n- we could see one employee reading a magazine behind the cash register. That was it. And the store's awning, in huge black letters that even I could re- read, it said, Monster Donut. Cartoon Ogre was taking a bite out of the O and Monster. The place smelled good, like fresh baked chocolate donuts. This shouldn't be here, Annabeth whispered. It's wrong. What, I asked. It's a donut shop. Shh. Why are we whispering? Tyson went in and bought a dozen. Nothing happened to him. He's a monster. Oh, come on, Annabeth. Monster Donut doesn't mean monster. It's a chain. We've got them in New York. A chain, she agreed. And don't you think it's strange that one appeared immediately after you told Tyson to get donuts? Right here in the middle of the woods? I thought about it, and it did seem a little weird. But I mean, donut shops weren't really high on my list of sinister forces. It could be a nest, Annabeth explained. Tyson whimpered. I doubt he understood what Annabeth was saying any better than I did, but her tone was making him nervous. He'd plowed through half a dozen donuts from his box and was getting powdered sugar all over his face. A nest for what? I asked. Haven't you ever wondered how franchise stores pop up so fast? She asked. One day there's nothing, and then the next day, boom, there's a new burger place or a coffee shop or wherever. First a single store, then two, then four, exact replicas spreading all across the country? Uh, no. I never thought about it. Percy, somehow the chains multiply so fast because all the locations are magically linked to the life force of a monster. Some children of Hermes found out, uh, figured how to do it back in the 18, uh, 1950s. They bred... She froze. What? I demanded. They bred what? No sudden moves. Annabeth said, like her life depended on it. Very slowly, turn around. Then I heard it. A scraping noise, like something large dragging its belly through the leaves. I turned and saw a rhino-sized thing moving through the shadows of the trees. He was hissing, his front half writhing in all different directions. I couldn't understand what I was seeing at first and I realized the thing had multiple necks, at least seven, each topped with a hissing reptilian 
uh, reptilian head. Its skin was leathery and under each neck it wore a plastic bib that read, I am a monster donut kid. I took out my ballpoint pen but Annabeth locked eyes with me. A silent warning. Not yet. I understood. A lot of monsters have terrible eyesight. It was possible that Hydra might pass us by. But if I unca uncapped my sword right now, the bronze glow would certainly get his attention. We waited. The Hydra was only a meter or so away. It seemed to be sniffing the ground in the trees like it was uh, hunting for something. Then I noticed that two of the heads were ripping apart a piece of yellow canvas. One of our duffel bags. The thing had already been to our campsite. It was following us, and my heart pounded. I'd seen a stuffed Hydra head trophy at camp before, but that did nothing to prepare me for the real thing. Each head was diamond-shaped like a rattlesnake's, but the mouth were lined with jagged rows of shark-like teeth. Tyson was trembling. He stepped back and accidentally snapped a twig. Immediately, all the seven heads turned towards us and hissed. Scatter! Annabeth yelled. She dived to the right. I rolled to the left. One of Hydra's heads spat an arc of green liquid that shot right past my shoulder and splashed against an elm. The trunk smoked and began to disintegrate. The whole tree toppled straight towards Tyson, who still hadn't moved, petrified by the monster that was now right in front of him. Tyson! I tackled him with all my might, knocking him aside just as the Hydra lunged and the tree crashed on top of its two of its heads. The Hydra stumbled backwards, yanking its heads free and wailing in outrage at the fallen tree. All the seven heads shot acid and the elm melted into a steaming pool of muck. Move, I told Tyson. I ran to one side and uncapped Riptide, hoping to draw the monster's attention. It worked. The sight of the celestial groans is hateful to most of the monsters. As soon as my glowing blade appeared, the Hydra whipped towards it with all its head, hissing and baring its teeth. The good news? Tyson was momentarily out of danger. The bad news? I was about to be melted in a puddle of goo. One of the heads snapped at me experimentally. Without thinking, I swung my sword. No! Albert yelled. Too late, I slashed the Hydra's head clean off. It rolled away into the grass, leaving a flailing stump, which immediately stopped bleeding and began to swell like a balloon. In a matter of seconds... The wounded neck split into two necks, each of which grew a full-sized head. Now I was looking at an eight-haired hydra. Pussy, Annabeth scolded. She just opened another monster donut shop somewhere. I dodged a spray of acid. I'm about to die and you're worried about that? How do we kill it? Fire, Annabeth said. We have to have fire. As soon as she said that, I remember the story. The Hydra's head would only be stopped multiplying if he burned the stumps before they regrew. That's what Heracles had done anyway. But we had no fire. I backed up towards the river. The Hydra followed. Annabeth moved in on my left and tried to distract one of the heads. Uh, moved in on my left and tried to distract one of the heads, powering its teeth with a knife. But another head swung sideways like a club and knocked her into the muck. No hitting my friends! Tyson charged in, putting himself between Hydra and Annabeth. As Annabeth got to her feet, Tyson started smashing at the monster heads with his fist so fast, it reminded me of the whack-a-mole game at the arcade. 
but even Tyson couldn't fend off the Hydra forever. We kept inching backwards, dodging acid splashes and deflecting snapping heads without cutting them off. But I knew we were only postponing our deaths. Eventually, we would make a mistake and the thing would kill us. Then I heard a strange sound, a chuck, 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 that at first thought I was my heartbeat. But it was so powerful, it made the riverbank shake. What's that noise? Annabeth shouted, keeping her eyes on the Hydra. Steam engine, Tyson said. What? I ducked as the Hydra splashed acid all over my, over my head. Then, from the river behind us, a familiar female voice shouted, There! Prepare the 32-pounder! I didn't dare look away from the Hydra, but if that was who I thought it was behind us, I figured we now had two enemies on two fronts. A gravely male voice said, They're too close, my lady. Damn the heroes! The girl said, Full steam ahead! I, my lady. Fire at will, Captain! Annabeth understood what was happening a split second before I did. She had hit the dirt and we dived for the ground as an earth-shattering boom echoed from the river. There was a splash of light, a column of smoke, and the high drag exploded right in front of us, showering us with nasty green slime that vaporized as soon as it hit, the way monster guts tend to do. Gross! screamed Annabeth. Steamship! Tyson yelled. I stood coughing from the cloud of the gunpowder smoke that was rolling across the banks. Chugging towards down the river was the strangest ship I had ever seen. It rode low in the water like a submarine, its deck plated with iron. In the middle was a trapezoid-shaped casemate with slats on each side for cannons. A flag waved from the top, a wild boar and a spear on the blood-red field. Lining the deck were zombies in grey uniforms, dead soldiers with shimmering faces that only partially covered the skulls. Like the gulls had seen in the underwater underworld, guarding Hades' palace. The ship was an ironclad, a civil war battle cruiser. I could just make out the name along the prow in Moscow-wood letters. CSS Birmingham. And standing next to the smoking cannon that had almost killed us, Wearing full Greek battle armor was Clarice. Losers, she sneered. But I suppose I have to rescue you. Come aboard. Well, Clarice was the hero. Wasn't that? That was so good. Well, I think she'll have a big head after that. So, moral of the story, just don't go chopping off the heads of Hydra's. Because you might never know, you may open a monster donut shop or, or another McDonald's. It was really fun. <laughs> so, stay tuned next Sunday only on the Prissy Jackson Podcast.